Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of Compassion and Courage Conversations in Healthcare. I'm your host, Marcus Engel. Thank you for being with me for this real inaugural first episode of the podcast. Hopefully by this point you have listened to the six tips for self-care and resiliency. But today I'd like to be able to give you some true definitions of compassion. And this is probably the story that most of you have come to know me by. I've shared this story for the last 20 years across the country uh, in various ways, different parts, but the, the story of presence and the compassion that was shown to me during my most vulnerable hour is really the crux of what this podcast is. It's the crux of all of my work. So you may know that while I live in Orlando, Florida now, I'm a native of Missouri. I actually grew up in St. Louis for the first 10 years of my life. And then whenever I was in the fourth grade, my parents moved to the rural farmland of East Central Missouri, where they are both originally from, which is where I grew up. And I grew up a, what I consider a really typical red-blooded American kid. Uh, in high school, I played four years of varsity football. I was in band. I was in choir, National Honor Society. Uh, I was in the French club. Wee oui, wee. Oui. Uh, I was, uh, I, I just did all the normal things that high schoolers would do. And when I, when it came time for me to go off to college, I wanted a big college experience. So I chose to go to the second largest university in the state, Missouri State University. Had a great time my first six weeks of college when I was going to parties and meeting girls and probably not going to class as much as I should have been. And about six weeks into my freshman year, I came home for the weekend because I got homesick. On that Friday night, I went to my high school's homecoming football game, and on Saturday afternoon, I made the hour-long drive into St. Louis to meet up with three friends that I had met during my high school years when we all attended the same church camp together. And that Saturday night, after a St. Louis Blues hockey game, on our way to White Castle, my friends and I were struck broadside t-boned at an intersection in south st louis by another car that was driven by a driver with a blood alcohol concentration uh, well over the legal limit i didn't know that in the moment but i do remember as we pulled into that intersection i remember glancing to my right hand side looking out my passenger side window and seeing nothing except two headlights, maybe that far from my face. And when I saw those headlights, that's the last thing I ever saw. And I lost consciousness for probably no more than 10 seconds. So I don't remember the impact of the crash. Our car barrel rolled through that in intersection, uh, came to land on its roof off to the side of the street. I don't remember that. And I don't remember any interactions with the paramedics, with the EMTs. I don't remember the ambulance ride to the hospital. But I do remember being dragged into the emergency room at Barnes Hospital, now known as Barnes Jewish Hospital. And I specifically remember two things from that first wretched 
night in the emergency room. Number one, I remember having all of my clothing cut off of me with scissors and knives. And I remember thinking in that moment uh, how, how disappointed, how ag angry and aggravated I was that somebody was cutting off my favorite pair of jeans. But the second thing I remember so vividly from that night was Jennifer. You see, that first night, I had the gift of unconsciousness during portions of the night. And I say that that's a gift because when we're unconscious, things do not hurt. And I don't know if that unconsciousness, if it was, if it was natural sleep, if it was narcotic induced, if it was, uh, if it was shock, what the case was, but I would be drifting along in pleasant unconsciousness, no problems whatsoever. And then just pow, right back into the here and now. And when I came back into the world of the living, the world of the conscious, the world that I came into was one that was filled with pain, with terror, and with darkness. And the one thing, the only thing, the only thing that gave me any comfort in that totally messed up world was the fact that someone was holding on to my right hand. And I could tell that this hand that held on to mine belonged to a female. And every time that this person could tell that I was conscious, she would squeeze my hand and I would squeeze back in recognition. And the owner of that hand would then repeat the same things to me every time she could tell I was awake. She would say, Marcus, my name is Jennifer. You were in a car accident. You're in the hospital. And then Jennifer would repeat the two most compassionate words I think any human being can say to another. As she held my hand that night, she just kept saying over and over, I'm here. I'm here, Marcus. I'm here. I didn't even know where here was, but I knew that in this completely devastated world that I was not alone. I was not alone. Simple human presence is the cornerstone of caregiving. Simple human presence, like Jennifer showed me in the emergency room, just holding a hand, being there. Simple human presence is the cornerstone of caregiving, but I think we can actually take that a step further. That presence, that's the very foundation of our humanity. When you as a human being can witness suffering in another human being and be present and attentive to that suffering in that moment, that is essentially what separates us from everyone else in the animal kingdom. It's that ability to be intentionally, actively present. Twenty years go by. 20 years after that terrible night, 
I've never known anything about Jennifer. I've written books, like my most popular book called I'm Here, Compassionate Communication and Patient Care, based on that brief experience with Jennifer. But yet, who was she? No idea. No idea. So if I can, let me take you back seven or eight years ago. I was invited by the very facility that saved my life, Barnes Jewish Hospital, uh, Washington University Med School in St. Louis. They invited me to come and speak for the entire hospital's patient experience efforts. And while I was speaking there, of course, I was sharing the story of Jennifer. I was sharing the story of I'm here and being present. And yet... Yet, when I got done speaking, I got a big surprise. Because I got done giving a lecture and the director of the patient experience department came up front and she said some words that I will never forget. She said, Marcus, we've got a surprise for you. We found Jennifer. And there in front of me for the first time in two decades was the person. And while she may have not saved my life that night, she definitely saved my sanity. What do you say to the person who saved your life or saved your sanity? I had a million questions for Jennifer. And so my first question for her was, who were you way back when? And she said, well, Marcus, at the time I was 20 and I was a patient care tech here in the emergency room. I was studying to be a paramedic. And when she said that, I was a little blown away because as a 20 year old, anyone in healthcare, you don't have years of experience under your belt. You don't have a whole alphabet soup after your name. But yet, Jennifer, even at her young age, she knew that I needed the one thing that she could provide, and that is presence. Witnessing my suffering, being present for it, and doing everything in her power to give me that comfort. Several years ago, I got an invitation to begin teaching at University of Notre Dame. And this was after I had received my master's degree in narrative medicine from Columbia University. And I, I was asked to help teach a course that we call the Introduction to Personalism in Medicine, the Pathos Project. What we're really teaching these future doctors to do is to practice presence, to deliver therapeutic presence just like Jennifer did, just being there. And so we use a couple of different definitions for what does it mean to be compassionate? What does it mean to have compassion? One of the definitions that we use is witnessing suffering, being moved by that suffering, and having a desire to ease that suffering. Witnessing the suffering of another person, having a desire, being moved by it, and having a desire to ease that suffering. The other definition that we use for compassion is non-judgmental awareness. Non-judgmental awareness. And if you've ever tried being non-judgmental, 
it's really, really hard, right? We are constantly judging things around us. Uh, what are we, what are we judging? This chair is not comfortable. It's too hot in here. I haven't eaten lately. I'm tired. I want to go home. I'm bored, right? These are the judgments that we are constantly making. And yet, we're sometimes making those judgments about our very selves. So when we talk about compassion, it's not just for the other person. It's also having that compassion for ourselves, not judging ourselves. It's a hard thing to do, right? It's a hard thing to do, especially for those who have been drawn to the caregiving professions. You're out there dumping everything you can into taking care of patients, also taking care of family members. And at the same time, we also need to be taking care of ourselves. We need to be practicing that self-compassion, not letting that voice in our head that tells us we're not doing enough, we're not good enough, we're not being enough. We've got to give that voice a chance to say what it needs to say, and then we go on doing what we need to do. If we want to find more compassion in our lives, all we have to do is look within. Compassion isn't something that's learned. While compassion can be taught, it isn't something that is learned. We have it innately. We human beings have the ability to witness suffering. And so how do we then cultivate that compassion so we are actually witnessing more suffering? We are being more aware of the struggles of other people. How do we do that? And there are really three ways to generate more compassion in your life. Number one is mindfulness and meditation techniques. And that's why you're going to hear a lot of people on this show talk about some spiritual aspects of care. Mindfulness and meditation, when we can stop and slow down, when we can focus on our breathing in and out, in and out, that takes our mind out of the endless loop that we seem to be on all the time when we are judging things, when we're feeling like we've got a million things to do, when we feel like we're not getting it all done. We slow down through mindfulness and meditation. Second, second is reading the accounts of others. When I was in the narrative medicine program at Columbia, one of the things I quickly learned is how much compassion we can develop for others simply by reading their first person account. So reading memoirs, reading autobiographies. When, when people share their stories, we can learn a lot by simply listening to those stories. And we start to realize our human experience, my human experience, is different than other human experiences. That's a bit of maturity that sometimes it's hard to find. Believing that my experience, the lens from which I view everything, that is, that, that's everybody's lens. No, it's not. And one of the ways that we can, that we can build more compassion and empathy for others is by listening to those stories, being open to those stories, whether it's through book form, it's through lecture, it's through a Netflix series. Learning the stories of others helps us generate more compassion in our own lives. And then lastly, after mindfulness and meditation and reading the stories of others, is gratitude practices. Gratitude practices. 
And that's sometimes hard to do too, right? Because in our world where we are over-prescribed and over-stressed and hypersensitive about so many things going on in our world, when there are so many millions of things that are trying to distract us from the moment, when there's so many things vying for our attention, how do we practice gratitude? How do we practice gratitude when we are inundated with advertisements how to buy the next best thing. We take the time and we just count our blessings. Simple as that. What are the things that I am grateful for? Today, I am grateful that I've got a roof over my head. I'm grateful that I have a loving family. I am grateful that I have food in my stomach. I am grateful that you are listening to this podcast episode right now. I am grateful for my dog. I am grateful for the upbringing that I had. And even if the upbringings that we had weren't perfect, did you learn from them? Yes, then be grateful for it. When we do mindfulness and meditation, when we read the stories of others, and when we actively participate in gratitude practices, that is the way to take that natural born compassion and empathy that we all have and boost it right? We're giving it some rocket fuel. We're opening ourselves up to more suffering, including our own, and how we can be more compassionate, show more grace and forgiveness in those moments. Friends, this podcast, Compassion and Courage, we're going to delve into a lot of different stories. And I hope that through the stories, not just of mine, but from other people, that you're going to get different perspectives on human experience, on patient experience, on caregiving, and on life. And I am so excited that you've been with me today for this episode. I'd like to encourage you to return to the first six episodes of the podcast, the six tips for self-care and resilience, and we will plan to see you at the next episode. Please remember to rate and review and subscribe and all those social media things across the podcast. We are so excited to be with you and thank you for being with me today. 